Hello, you're listening to Making It Count, a podcast that provides practical financial advice for every stage of life with a twist. We're your hosts, Christina and Will. We aren't financial experts. We're just like you, aka trying not to stumble our way to financial success. That's where our money smart friends come into the equation. You see what I did there, Will? Yes. I guess we need to add a bad pun disclaimer to our show description. Well, as long as we add a reality TV spoiler disclaimer as well. I'm there for that. You'll want to stay tuned for fun guest interviews, discussions around money taboos, and apparently corny jokes and Real Housewives references. Mm -hmm. That is so perfectly us. So together, let's make make it it count. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Making It Count. We're thrilled to be in our third season, and I'm excited about today's topic, which is all about money taboos. Mm, you make that sound so scandalous. It is. I know. I'm, I'm excited, too, because it's a really important topic. There was just a study that I read from Capital Group that found that Americans are more comfortable talking about mental health, drug addiction, marriage problems, sex, religion, and even politics more than they are wanting to talk about money. And that goes right into why we're using the word taboo. I knew people were sometimes reluctant to talk about money, but I didn't realize it was like more taboo than talking about politics or religion. Well, exactly. I mean, think about it. Will, how often do you talk about money with your friends? I mean, considering this podcast. (laughs) Besides the podcast, in your own personal life, how often do you talk about it or with your friends or family? Like, do you even talk about money with them? No, like outside of Zach, like, no, not really. Yeah, me either. Like for me growing up, my parents were always like, no, you don't talk about money. Like you don't No, that's like not. It's like impolite. Yes. I think the extent is like a Venmo. (laughs) Well, we have two great guests to help us get to the source of money taboos and help our listeners get past them. So the first one is an old pro of ours from season two, Karina Rodriguez. She is the youth ambassador at Addition Financial. Hi, Karina. Welcome Hi, back. Karina. Hi. Nice to see you guys in person. I'm not in my bedroom doing this. It's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> but my name is Karina, as Christina mentioned. I'm very excited to be back again. Excited to be talking about money taboos. As I was reading over some of our outline, I realized how much of a taboo it's been in my personal life. Mm. And so I'm excited to talk about it today. Thank you guys for having me. We're very excited. We also have Nathan Grant, a senior credit industry and analyst with Credit Card Insider. Nathan, please introduce yourself. Hi, thanks for having me. Usually you can find me speaking to credit and finance topics like these on local news stations across the country. So it really feels nice to share some insights to a whole new audience. And I really look forward to this discussion. Great. So before we go to the serious questions, Nathan, I'm going to talk to you first. You say you talk about this with in a very public setting, but do you, what is your personal money taboo? that you were taught not to talk about? Well, I feel like, so my family comes from a somewhat lower to middle class background. So money was always like top of mind growing up. You know, we we always had issues and things that my parents, well, my parents anyway, because I was a child, you know, but, you know, growing up around that, I just kind of understood like the shame of sharing some more maybe embarrassing money troubles that throughout my life, I think has kept things closer to my chest for a while, obviously outside of my professional setting, but still like with my friends, family, you know, I don't talk about finances as much as you know, I could have. And I guess that has to do with these taboos, you know? Yeah. What about you, Karina? I totally agree with Nathan. Um, I definitely 
thought that it was some sort of an invasion of privacy almost, or even rude to talk about money or how much you made, or maybe that you were showing off, or maybe if you were embarrassed, different things like that. But I do find now being older, more mature, and obviously working for a credit union, the value of having those conversations with my friends and with my families and even with my colleagues. So I will say mm-hmm. last season during Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, <laughs> there was a very big scandal because one of the new housewives asked another of the new housewives, how did you get your money? Oh, Because one theme of the season was that she was rich. In her divorce, this is Sutton for any listeners who know, she says in <laughs> no her spoilers. divorce, she found out through financial forensics that she was a partial owner of two minor league baseball teams. Oh, what? Wow. That's a divorce. Wow. That's nice. And that's your hot... Uh, and that's my hot take. <laughs> I didn't take any. I didn't give a take on anything. I just said a story. All right, Will, we're letting you kick it off. All right. My first question is a big one. Nathan, why is talking about money considered a taboo? Where did that notion come from? Well, I think there's like three ways we can look at it. So one theory is that in America, anyway, the taboo about money actually started way back in Britain with the upper classes. Uh, It was possibly considered rude to discuss anything related to money, lest it be seen as something like bragging. And we even see examples of this today in, you know, places like the workplace and stuff where it often leads to like maybe even money myths that people start centering their whole financial decisions around just because they weren't open about it. People who are middle class and struggling a bit, they might have a hard time admitting that. It goes back to like I said about like, you know, being embarrassed and stuff. So it's difficult admitting vulnerability when it comes to money, especially if you might have made some less than optimal decisions that got you there in the first place. And, you know, appearances are everything after all are conceived that way. And one thing that's kind of interesting is that the people who are really in the muck struggling, those like living close to the poverty line, they're more likely to openly talk about money than people who are aren't as worried about it, which, you know, might just have to do with the fact that I think that like they're face to face with these issues every day and they have to work extra hard to just keep their heads above water. That's really interesting. Never thought about how that would impact someone who would have less money and someone who would have more money. So Karina, it seems that not talking about money is something that only benefits really people that are financially secure. How can we, how can we get around that? Yeah, I I definitely think it does. And if we think about it logically, we know that there's a wage gap between men and women and a wage gap between white people and people of color. If the people at the top, aka the company owners and the wealthy, don't really encourage that type of conversation, people from maybe the lower class disclosing salary and pay information, then it's easier for that to keep going on. And once you know where you're at personally, um, if you have those conversations with your colleagues, it's easier to have that conversation with your employer or with your boss. And it's not necessarily being selfish, asking for more. It's just more evaluating where you're at and maybe, hey, I'm doing the same exact things as my colleague, but I'm getting paid less. How can we have a conversation to get that in the right way? Mm -hmm. That's really interesting that you mentioned talking about salary, talking about your income, even like between colleagues. So let me ask this question to debunk a myth about salaries. Can employers forbid employees from discussing income and salaries? No, they cannot. And this is something new for me, but it's prohibited by the National Labor Relations Act, which was passed in 1935. Obviously, the first day of your job, you're not going to go to your coworker (laughs) and go, hey, how much do you get paid? Are we on the same bracket? (laughs) 
it's, it comes with trust having those conversations with your colleagues. But I think it's important to have them just to make sure that you are on the right track. But no, you can speak about salaries with your colleagues. It is not illegal. So, Will, how much do you make? <laughs> Less than Christina, for sure. Stop it. But I've never Look whose had... name is first. Look whose I've... name is first, okay? <laughs> That's true. I've never had those conversations with coworkers. Like, never. never I don't I've even never... know how I would ask. Like, that's... But you're right. Like, How's your morning? Right. Coffee good? So anyways, what was your paycheck like? Right. <laughs> and I mean, everybody's paycheck is different because some people put more into 401k or some people oh, put... Oh, no, I'm talking, right. about, I'm talking like, gross. Oh, okay. Not net. I, I'll talk about it later. <laughs> <laughs> Another money taboo topic that is very near and dear to my heart is retirement savings. You know, I'm very vocal about retirement savings. 65, baby. 65. 65. Well, less I'm I'm going, I'm shooting for 62 now. Oh. I'm at I'm at the 62 train. Hopefully 60's the goal. We'll get there. But Nathan, how do we remove the taboos about retirement help with people to help them prepare for the future? Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the most important things that we can do is actually help young people understand the power of compound interest. I mean, I, case in point, I wish I took it more seriously earlier on, you know, now I know and I'm like, oh, I wish I would have taken it seriously. But, you know, a lot of workers who, you know, they're just starting out, they look at those 401k contributions, reducing the money they have in the here and now, you know, and without understanding the huge difference that it can make to be able to max out those contributions. I mean, it makes sense. If you have bills to pay, maximizing those contributions might seem like, I don't know if I can really afford this, but, you know, especially if your employer offers like a good system to match a portion of that, you know, you could really be taking advantage of stuff that can significantly help you early on. And obviously I have to say it because it relates to stuff that I talk about more regularly, but, you know, being more open about talking about money in general can help you make those kinds of responsible decisions when it comes to things like managing your debt and stuff like that. So you could end up freeing up more money that can then be used and applied to your 401k each month and reduce the you know potential burden that it might maybe seem to have for people. You know, I think removing the taboo about retirement can help actually people with aging parents actually understand what their situation is too. And it's unfortunate, but a lot of times, you know, the kids end up finding themselves having to really take care of their parents in a lot of ways. And, you know, it might be really a requirement for them to kind of know and have a grasp on that kind of stuff so they can be of a better help. And, you know, a lot of times these adult children, they have families of their own and, you know, they have to also become a caregiver for their own parents. It's even, you know, more of a thing they have to juggle. That that group's often nicknamed the sandwich generation, which, you know, they could probably find themselves with more stress than the average adult. But, you know, whether you have your own children or not, I mean, it's still wise to openly communicate with your parents about stuff like retirement plans and stuff like that and options they have just so you understand, you know, and for yourself personally, you want to know for you to retire is early retirement even on the table, you know, social security payments probably aren't going to be enough for most people. So there's so many reasons, you know, of of why it's so important. This is a good time to plug our episode where we talked about retirement savings. Yes, we have two episodes from season one. One is retirement for 40 and under and one is retirement for 40 and over. So definitely check out those two episodes from season one. They have lots of amazing information about preparing for retirement. Yeah, we touch on social security and what it means too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyways, but Nathan, you were talking about aging parents. And as someone who and I won't say aging parents, because they might kill me if they hear that (laughs) parents of a certain age, As they're getting to that point of thinking about retirement, it is concerning. So how do you broach that topic with your parents 
if they themselves most likely think that it's taboo? So I think the first thing is just, you know, have a conversation about it. Be as matter of fact as possible about it. There was a recent story about uh, someone whose parents assumed that they were asking about retirement savings because they wanted to know what their inheritance was going to be. And that wasn't the case, uh, but they assumed it was anyway. And without you know being straight to the point, it could easily be interpreted that way. You know, unfortunately, a lot of those negative type of things that are out there, it's because they've happened in the past. People have said things like that in the past. So people might be on guard. And so if you are being as as matter of fact as possible about it, you might be able to open up the discussion more easier. It also might help to start with kind of like a broad overview. Don't go right into the dollar amounts, you know, address the taboo head on even, Uh, you know, say like, I know some people think it is taboo to talk about money, but I'd like it if we could kind of talk about your general financial picture and point out that you're coming at the conversation with the intent of genuine concern and care that you want to be on the same page so you can help be more effective with your help. And it might also be helpful to avoid questioning any individual financial decisions that they've made and more focus on like the security and income predictability or like the challenges that have faced others when retirement comes. So you're, again, coming from a place of concern rather than judgment, you know, People can get defensive about money for so many reasons. And thinking about all that stuff ahead of time can really help get you a better result when you have to have those discussions because they are big discussions, you know. I mean, it's probably not best to like go to your parents and be like, so are you going to go to a home or are you moving in? (laughs) Right. But those are really important discussions. My parents just recently have retired in the past few years. And the conversations, they were kind of tough conversations, but What is their plan? What do they have in retirement? Do we need to plan for a future where like you can't live in your own home alone? Like it's just they are uncomfortable situations, uncomfortable conversations to have. But you do need to know how much they have saved up for because my grandmother, she doesn't have any retirement. So now my parents are having to pay for her living and their own through their retirement. So it's added stress that way. So that conversation definitely needs to happen rather uncomfortably, but it does need to happen. So let's go to the other spectrum, Karina. We mentioned you work with young people and young people and their finances. So let's talk about what parents can do to help make their kids comfortable about talking about money. Yeah. So I think the main part of having those conversations is actually having the conversation, talking about money, normalizing those topics related to income, savings, debt, and what that looks like. My parents didn't necessarily say, hey, we make this amount of money. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have understood it anyway at that time. But if we went to the grocery store and I was with my mom, we always went grocery shopping with her, all four of us. I don't know how she did it. That's crazy. Crazy. (laughs) But we were all like in line like little ducks behind my mom. And if I asked her for something, she wouldn't just go, no, you can't because I say no and I'm your mom and that's it. She would always go, no, because we have this amount of money and I have to feed six people. Mm. So this is why X, Y, Z, this is why. And I think that helped everything click in my brain. Not necessarily she had to tell me that she made X amount of money, but just seeing those examples in a real world setting kind of helped me. It made it click like, okay, I have to calm down with asking my parents for this cash register. I always want a cash register for everything (laughs) because she needs to feed the family, X, Y, Z, like things like that. And it clicked in my head that way. So just having those conversations with the kids. I do love children's concept of money. I have a friend who her, I think he's five now, she took him to the movies and then they went to lunch and then he wanted to go to an arcade and she was mm. like, hey, buddy, like, you know, between movies and lunch, mom spent yeah. 60 bucks. Like, do you realize how long I've had to work for right. this money? Like trying to equate time at work to money. Mm-hmm. And he was like, 
yeah, you must have worked like six hours. And so I told her like, oh, you're making $10 an hour. (laughs) So you figured out how much your friend makes. (laughs) And that's how you find out her colleagues make. (laughs) Well, something that I had recently did with my kids is I downloaded this app called Go Henry. And they have their own little debit card that's a MasterCard debit card and they get it in the in the mail like they have their own card with their name on it and it's it's contactless and they you can use it anywhere online or when we go to Disney and then they have a savings account and they have their um, spending account and then they can do different things so my older daughter Olivia has to pay me back for something I paid for so she does a direct withdrawal every week that goes directly into savings charity and then paying me back for that sweatshirt. And she sees it because she's like, oh man, it's going to take me four weeks to like pay this back. But I really want to get... And so she does more chores based on wanting to pay off this sweatshirt faster. That's awesome. It's really Debt cool. Debt collector, Christina. <laughs> and then like tomorrow... Tack we're on going, interest with that one. <laughs> well, tomorrow we're going to Disney. So they'll actually move money from savings onto their card. And they actually go to Disney and they pay with their credit card. I love that. It's no, that's so great. That's so cool. No, that's very good. I didn't even know that existed. That's it's amazing. Great. It must have been an expensive sweater. <laughs> I'm just stuck on that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Speaking of people in debt, uh, credit card debt is a big problem, and it is one of the taboos of money. That's something I, I think people really don't want to talk about. Mm-mm. So, Nathan, why is talking about debt and credit card debt especially so hard for some of us? Yeah, well, you know, I think there's a lot of shame attached to debt. And, you know, when people are ashamed of their behavior, even if it's common, you know, they're still going to be reluctant to talk about it. According to Experian, the average balance on credit cards alone at the end of 2020 was just under $6,000. So that doesn't include other forms of debt. And so obviously many aren't alone in dealing with that. Like it's a very common thing, but that doesn't stop people from holding back from talking about it. It's hard to admit when you've lost control of something and a lot of people just avoid talking about it for that reason. But here's the thing. Everyone's financial situation is unique to them and dealing with it alone can be difficult. By reaching out and discussing it with others, you can identify the steps you need to take to help your uh, unique situation. And there are so many resources available to help you find those answers from personal bankers and credit unions to people like us who can answer some of these questions that people might need to be talked about with beforehand. And it is just an unfortunate fact of life that taboos like this, they feed on themselves. And, you know, when we're afraid to talk about debt, we don't talk about it. And that perpetuates the taboo and it perpetuates making the same daily decisions too. So the debt itself can pile up because of things like interest rates and stuff. So especially if you're only making the minimum payments, you're just like never getting out of that. So it kind of becomes this like self-fulfilling prophecy if you just don't start the dialogue somewhere. You know, I mentioned some money myths earlier that, you know, are out there because of these taboos. And if you're making assumptions about something as important as paying off your debt and stuff, because you haven't taken the time to talk about the situation, you could end up inadvertently making things worse for yourself in your silence. I mean, I think another thing that kind of contributes to that, like, I don't want to talk about credit card debt is because people who don't have credit card debt or have maybe gotten out of it, they don't talk about having gotten out of it. They talk Mm. about how they pay everything every month and they don't let their cards accumulate a balance or this and the other. And so the people who do have a balance, which I think is honestly the majority of people have some sort of credit card balance. I mean, you just stated in the statistics, like an average of $6,000. Yeah. It makes those people feel like, well, I must be doing something wrong. I can't talk about it because that yeah. this other person is doing so much better. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to look like I'm bad at money. 
Yeah, they could be embarrassed. Yeah. So that makes sense. I mean, if you feel like you're not doing well at something, you don't want to go advertise it. When in the other direction, maybe that person could reach out to the person that's doing really well and have those conversations and see like, what are you doing? Or or how did you know you get out of this? Or And use them as a resource instead. Yeah, I mean, I think you need to start shaming Olivia about the debt <laughs> that she's in to you now. With that purple hoodie. <laughs> purple hoodie. Let's Poor put her into debt. <laughs> so talking about taboos, Nathan just touched on something. They just keep perpetuating themselves. So Karina, what can we do to kind of get out of that circle of the of having these money taboos? Yeah. So I really think it's up to the individuals to break the cycle. And that's the case with any taboo topic. It wasn't that long ago that as a society, we weren't comfortable talking about women's reproductive health. But individuals have made it a point to talk about it now, and the taboo is significantly less powerful. That's really true. In a previous episode, we talked about money being the number one topic of arguments in marriages. So Karina, how can couples overcome taboos and share financial information? Yeah, I think this is the big one. And obviously, it's such a huge thing. I'm not married, so I can't speak on behalf of a married person. But I will say in my relationship now, we are very open about how much we make or what our goals are, because you know, whether you want to be married or not, if that's the next step for you, it's important to have those conversations and to know what kind of the financial picture as a whole looks like. And obviously approaching the subject with just being sensitive and being not being judgmental, because I think it's a huge thing for men to feel pressure to make more than the women. And just having that, like, when you go into these conversations, they can be a little bit awkward if you make more or they make more, or you make less, like et cetera, whatever the case is. But I think just being transparent is the key. You always want to know what you're walking into. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Christina has her daughter in debt, so I think she's pretty open Stop with her. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> She's paying it off. She's I, making $1 no, payments I, every week. No, I kid, but it actually is a really like good lesson that you're teaching Thank her. Absolutely you. it is. And, and I'm not charging her interest. I think it'd be really funny if you did. <laughs> I should. That would be a real life scenario. Like, I'm going to charge you 10% interest on that. So maybe it'll make her want to pay it off faster. Because then, like a credit card, the longer you keep that balance, the more you're going to end up paying for that purple sweatshirt anyway. Exactly. Mm. Mm. Putting ideas in her head now. I'm going to blame you, Will. If Olivia's like, wait, what? I'm going to be like, it's Will's fault. Your payment has doubled, balloon payment. (laughs) So we talked earlier about how interesting it is that people who don't have financial security are more likely to have frank conversations about money and then less likely to consider it a money taboo. So Nathan, why do you think that that's the case? Well, I mentioned uh, earlier that like, you know, these are people like they're on the front lines. This is their day-to-day life. So I think it's mostly out of necessity. Uh, If you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from, or you're in a situation where you're struggling bills or you're balancing multiple credit card balances and all the debt that comes with it and interest, you can't really do that without putting your money front and center. So the whole issue of (laughs) whether uh, it's polite or in good taste to talk about money specifics can really go out the window when money's a problem. I mean, that may be the one example where that's not the case because you can silently kind of make the minimum payment every month and act like everything's fine. But meanwhile, you're throwing away money towards like interest fees every month. And all it takes is, you know, one medical or pet or vehicle related emergency to put someone over the edge financially. And 
honestly, isn't that like usually when these types of problems seem to pop up, you know, is when you're in the, the thick of it. So, you know, people who are financially stable on the surface, but have a lot of debt, they may not talk about it openly because they're embarrassed by it or it's uh, contrary to the image they're trying to project. Like, you know, in the age of social media, it's even more possible than ever before to project yes. a facade that everything's a-okay. But on the flip side, you are also being inundated on social media with FOMO and like comparing yourself to others, showing yeah. off their successes. So I feel like that's making that pressure even more. That is so true. So it's like true. the people that were renting they weren't renting. They were paying this guy to take Instagram photos in front of his private jet. Oh. So they weren't going on a private jet. They weren't doing anything. They were just taking pictures in front of it. So they appeared that they were going somewhere. Or I've heard, I just recently read an article about this Instagram family, like influencer family, where they they live in this big, beautiful house and they have all the best clothes and all of that. And then it ended up that their house was in bankruptcy. They were in bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. Their house was in foreclosure. Like all these people are going after all the like cars that he had. And it was all a facade. And people believe that that's how they lived. Yeah. Like we can't live like that. Yeah. No, it's wild. Do not believe Instagram. No. TikTok and makes it even compare. worse yeah. nowadays. <gasps> yeah, when you see couples that are TikTokers or YouTubers or Instagrammers and they're like 22 with the biggest house and the cars, mm -hmm. I'm just like, so you compare yourself and I'm 25 and I'm like, I should be there, but it's not realistic. And they always say something stupid like, I'm 22 and I have a house. Right. What are you doing? And I'm right. like, well, you might have a trust fund. That too, yeah. So let's talk about that. But it's, no, it's insane. Yeah. And like- yeah, really I can go on about that. That's a really great point. Yeah. All right. It's time for our rapid fire round. And Will, you are up first. You ready? Always ready. Mm -hmm. My first question is for you, Karina. Should parents tell kids how much they earn? I don't know that they need to because like you were saying that story earlier with your friend's son, they don't really understand the concept of money. But I think just having those conversations like, hey, how long do you think that it earned for me to be able to pay for this movie theater and for lunch and having that click in their mind? Because if you tell them, hey, I make 70 grand a year, they're going to be like, cool. What does that mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think just having those conversations where on their level, making it click in their their little brains. Yeah, their concept of money is a little different. It's kind of like when we hear a billion, like there's some, I read <laughs> yeah. a study that like <laughs> humans have never evolved. They haven't evolved far enough, far enough to understand the word, like the number one billion. Right. But even if you tell your kids, like Karina said, like, oh, I make 70,000. Yeah. The kids don't understand it, but they'll go to school and tell <laughs> everyone. And oh, then yeah, the teacher will. who understands it will know how much. So like they have no concept of what you Yeah, and then she's can't. like, why didn't you just buy the purple sweatshirt for your daughter, you cheapo? <laughs> <laughs> I've done so many financial literacies where I go into a little classroom of kindergartners and they're like, my dad has X amount of money. And I'm like, cool, awesome. So back to the presentation. My dad has a million dollars. They're so honest. Yes, they are. They have no, they don't know about money taboos. And maybe that's the way we should live. Right. Like maybe we should Maybe we should care. learn from them. Yeah, we should learn from their innocence and, and... Christina's perpetuating taboos. She doesn't want the parents in her kid's class knowing how much she makes. I'm just saying okay. that they have no... They don't have any filter. Like right. kids don't know what no. to talk about, what not to talk about. Yeah. Like you come home and I'm like, oh my gosh. They're like my mom and dad are arguing a lot. All right, Nathan, this one's for you. What is the best way that couples can break the ice about talking about debt? 
well, you know, to avoid those arguments, just <laughs> as calm and a matter of fact uh, way as possible, try and like cross that bridge also as early on as possible. Uh, you won't know what to expect going in if you haven't already talked about it. So, you know, just make a deal that you'll disclose numbers. And if you need to take some time before getting into the details, you know, take that time, but you don't need to do everything all at once. I was actually asked to contribute a blog post on Plenty of Fish once uh, in the past about <laughs> things you should be open about in a serious relationship. And things like debt and credit scores were among the top points. So like if you're carrying a lot of debt and it's affecting your credit scores to the point where you might have trouble getting good rates or vehicle loan approvals. Uh, you know, many might not think about how even in the world of dating, like someone's debts and credit could be one of those deal breakers. So it's yep. best to address that as soon as possible. Obviously, you know, you don't have to put it all on the table, but just uh, open communication is a good thing in relationships, isn't it? So Nathan, on the first date, credit score. I need your. I need your debt. I need all your credit cards. First well, date just, conversation, I, right? I go down the list, and uh, I mean, I, uh, I do. On my first, in, on my first in-person date with Zach, I did ask him about his credit score. So did yeah. I. Really? Not with Zach, but you know, <laughs> I did Zach. Well, that, that you would did be too. Yeah. Yeah. The deal breaker. No, it was because I'd been in a relationship where that was an issue. I won't go into detail, but it was a problem. And so I was like, hey, we've been talking for a few weeks. So now that we're in person, what's that look like? And he was like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, good. We're fine. Like, it was a number that pleased me. I was fine. And you too, Karina? Yeah, because you make these goals in your in your mind like, hey, whenever if this becomes something serious, what house could we get? Or what what situation would we be in? And if you don't know those things, you're going to be in for a surprise. If you're used to a certain way of living and then it's not the same way, it's, it's hard. Love doesn't overcome all. <laughs> I, it's hard. You don't have to be perfect, today. but on the right track, I think. Yeah. You know, I, I do want to say, you do see happy couples in all like classes of, yes. you know, financial situation. So that's why, again, I think it really comes back to communicating it because these people who are maybe living in a lower, you know, income level, where's their happiness coming from? Well, it's probably because they're open about it. There's not keeping secrets about it and everything. And so, so I really think like, I think it should be important to everybody, you know, because of all those big decisions, if you, especially if you're trying to have a family in a future with someone, but I think that it, it really is at the root of kind of what we're talking about today is like talking about it. You know, I mean, when I met Zach, he was a barista. So like, I kind of like knew what the situation was, mm -hmm. but I just want to know, I was like credit. I mean, let me ask credit well, and student loan debt. When Mark and I were dating that, I mean, we just graduated from college. So, I mean, we're in a totally different place now, but yeah, that's definitely important. Mm -hmm. It is. All right, Karina, this one says it's in the spirit of fun, but I don't know how fun it's going to be for you. So <laughs> in the spirit of fun, breaking through taboos, what's a money mistake you've made and what would you do differently now? That's not fun. I'm going to blame it, it on my parents. I was given the question to ask. I <laughs> Hands up. You have to answer after I answer, Will. Oh. Okay, yeah, I'll answer. No, I'll answer. Well, I'm going to blame this one on my parents. Sorry, mom and dad. I love you guys. But I was raised by some very old school Spanish parents who kind of taught me if you can't pay it off cash, then just don't do it at all. So I never understood the value of having a credit score until mm. I started working at the credit union. 
And I remember when I was 19, I bought my first car myself and I paid it cash. Wow. And it makes me so, I mean, it was a Honda Civic 2008, nothing crazy. Like, still. But yeah, it was a super awesome accomplishment for myself. But in hindsight, I'm like, why did I not like get a loan for that? And now I don't even have like the credit to show that, hey, I was a good borrower and I paid back on time Mm. every month. Like, there's nothing to show for all that hard work. So I think that was one of my biggest regrets. And whenever I did, eventually buy my first big girl car i had great credit but it was young credit so Mm. i wish i would have started earlier and i wish i would have known the value of like hey a credit score is okay and it's not scary to get into debt if you're doing it the right way yeah i think mine is definitely when i was in college and like you know you start off with one little credit card yeah and then it goes Mm -hmm. to another credit card and then you know you start paying those credit cards on time maybe not the whole balance definitely my case not the whole balance (laughs) And then, you know, every time they raise your limit, you're just like, oh, there's more money there. And you're just wanting to live your life and have fun. And so I did rack up credit card debt and I paid off a lot of credit card debt. And so it's it's something I wish people understood better is like how much credit card debt accumulates and how quickly it accumulates. Like you will be drowning before you know it. And interest rates on the minimum payment on the amount of debt that you have on that credit card, how how those interest rates really go towards all like how much more expensive that debt becomes. Yep. Okay, Nathan, now I got to ask you, what is your biggest money mistake that you've made? Well, I feel like we've kind of, I want to throw my, my hat in the ring too. Like that's a similar thing. It's like, it's the early years. Cause I think that like, unfortunately, you know, when we're taking like trigonometry three and stuff in <laughs> high school that we'll never use, we're also not, like taking the or learning the things about balancing a checkbook or, or, you know, starting a good savings account and everything. So it's like, for me, a lot of the big mistakes were kind of like what you guys just said, getting credit cards early on, maxing them out. I didn't make late payments, which is good, but like, I didn't know anything about things like your credit utilization and how much of your credits being used and how that affects your credit scores and stuff. And so like, you know, I look back now with the knowledge I have now and I'm like, Oh, if only I knew because then it's like, (laughs) Because the thing with credit and stuff like that is, you know, your credit, it is your credit history. It has history in the name. So the longer that you're showing responsible behavior, that's even better for you. So yeah, that's for, it's definitely credit cards, which is ironic considering, you know, I'm I'm talking about credit cards all the time now and giving advice about it. So, but it's like knowing that, like, I guess it's, it's nice that I've come full circle, (laughs) you know? And now you get to share all of your knowledge with other people so that they don't make the same mistakes. (laughs) Exactly. I think my story is very similar to Karina's because I have, you know, very old school Spanish parents and credit was scary. Like I was always taught like, don't like your credit card, like you have to be very careful with it. So I have one credit card and it's my same credit card I've had since I was 18 years old. And I I thought you said you were going to get another one. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. But I still have that one credit card and I was always afraid to use it because I didn't know the importance of credit. So although I feel like we have had the opposite, like you guys and Korean and I had the opposite situation, but almost it still hurt our credit in the long run because I couldn't get credit because I didn't have any credit to show that I had was responsible. I mean, another thing I think about like with that situation, putting so much cash out for a car is not always the wisest decision, right? Because you may not be keeping that collateral, the car, as long as you 
think you will. And it could have been something you put into a retirement savings account or something else. else. And like, (laughs) I mean, I remember getting my first job and they were like, here's your 401k plan. I was like, whatever. I don't know what that is. And like, I just didn't care. And like, thank God that I got it and that I actually did start giving to it. And now I'm like starting to see the benefits of compound interest. And I'm like, oh, Okay, that's great. Yeah. It's also very frustrating to see money you can't touch, though. Yes, and that's for me. True. I'm very yes. Like, I'm like, oh, look at all that money that I won't see for a very but, long time. But when you get to that point, you're gonna be like, oh, oh thank, thank God. goodness, young Will knew to do that. Yeah, you know, you're gonna thank yourself later. Now we'd like to give you both a minute to talk about what's going on with you and how our listeners can stay connected with you outside of the show. So, Nathan, do you want to go first and tell our listeners how they can find you? Yeah, sure. Well, thank you. So as I mentioned, you can possibly see me giving credit advice on various topics across local news stations. I help out with like, you know, if they're writing a story about a credit related topic uh, that we can help with, you know, you you might see me on there all around the country. But creditcardinsider.com is a website that not only compares and reviews credit cards across all categories, so you can really find the exact card to best serve your own, like I mentioned earlier, unique financial situation since everybody's different. But we have a whole section called our Academy, which has articles about all sorts of credit topics from how to build credit, how to view and understand credit scores, credit reports, things like security and dealing with fraud, just to name a few. So there's a ton of stuff on there and our contact information on the site. So someone, whether it's me or somebody else with Credit Card Insider is always quick to respond to any credit questions you might have. So, you know, you don't have to worry about talking about some of those taboo subjects because we're we're happy to talk about them. (laughs) You're a safe place to talk about those taboos. Exactly. (laughs) Well, we really appreciate you joining us, Nathan. And Karina, it's your turn. How can our listeners get in touch with you? So you guys can get in touch with me with, first, I want to just offer a quick resource, our website, editionfi.com. We do have a financial education tab on there. We have a lot of cool resources, calculators, guides, workshops, just different things for you to guide yourself into that financial wellness if you want to do it more on a personal level. But if you would like to talk to me, my email is, and I hope that they put this somewhere because it's a long <laughs> one. I always say this, krodriguez-penalver at editionfi.com. And you can request for me to come out. I do facilitate a lot of financial literacy presentations for all ages. So if that's something you're interested in for your school, your class, your organization, your club, you name it, I'm there. And I'm sure producer Lauren will put your very long and complicated email in our show notes. Oh, I got a thumbs up. Yes, it'll be there. (laughs) Thank you guys for joining us. Of course. All right, Will, now's the time for our favorite segment we call What What Did We we Learn learn today? Today? So I loved this episode. I think the biggest lesson for me, it's actually something I, I, I have known, but it, it kind of comes around because I forget about it, is the idea of being open with people maybe about your salary. And it doesn't mean you go around like screaming it out mm-hmm. to the void, but being willing to have that conversation with people who are close with you. To me, the biggest thing is that it does help contribute to the conversation around wage caps. I personally know a situation at a, at a institution in Florida that happened and what ended up going on is that all these people from all different areas, women specifically started calling out how much they were making. And then some of their male colleagues were also calling it out. And they found out that there was a larger than average wage gap between men and women and even women who had been at the company like twice as long as those men. Wow. So it ended up being like a huge kind of deal and they had the company ended up having to do something about it. So I think that when the conversation is right and when it's handled appropriately, it can be very effective in helping people. What I learned from today's episode is that it's not 
a bad thing to talk about money and we could help each other. Like I have, as you know, I'm really passionate about retirement. Like, but I have younger friends that are like, oh, I don't know what that, like that doesn't matter to me now. So if I don't voice why it's important, then they will never understand because nobody like in college, like Nathan was saying, they don't talk about retirement in college. You don't talk about credit in college. You don't talk about any of those things. So I think even just having the open conversation, maybe people will feel comfortable enough to come and ask you the question so that they feel better prepared. Absolutely. At the end of every episode, we share some resources to help our listeners make it count in their daily lives. I'm really excited about the first one, which is the Millennial Playbook to Paying Off Debt and Saving for the Future. It's a guide to help young adults break through money taboos and deal with issues related to debt and retirement. That is such a great resource, Will. And we have a second resource we want to recommend to you called the Online Money Management Tools Comparison Chart. It can be really hard to choose between the best money management tools for your needs. So this is a great downloadable chart that allows you to compare Mint, Nerd Wallet, Good Money, You Need a Budget, plus the fit that you pick, and it's very easy to compare and contrast. We'll link both of those in the show notes, and we look forward to the next episode of Making Making It It Count. Count. And that's a wrap on this episode of Making It Count. If you learned something new, were inspired to reach your financial goals, or just found us entertaining, please subscribe, share, or rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. And don't worry, we'll be back soon with another new episode of Making, Making It, it Count. Count.